You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Song to the Lord, let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Scribe to the Lord, you families of peoples. Scribe to the Lord, glory and strength. Scribe to the Lord, the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole herd tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the people fairly. Let the heaven be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all trees of the forest will shout for joy. Before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his faithfulness. The reading. And the second reading is Ephesians 5, 15 to 20. People careful attention. Pay careful, sorry. Pay careful attention. Then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads you to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your presence with us this day. May we be people who are shaped by your word, taught by your spirit, with your greater glory, our supreme concern. And we pray this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I wonder what makes your heart sing. 
maybe getting a good night's sleep after uh, a series of hot and muggy nights and uh, suddenly there's a bit of a cool change. That might make your heart sing. For me, one of the things that makes my heart sing is to be near the beach. Uh, wriggling my toes into a white sandy beach while watching ocean waves roll up, curl and run towards me. Um, I'm a West Australian by birth and grew up not too far from the ocean, so my mind is thinking of West Coast beaches. But uh, I find when I was yesterday down in Torquay, you know, it's the same kind of feeling. It makes my heart want to sing. I think I had an image there of a, that's it. But what makes your heart sing? Next, next slide. One time I was teaching students in Hong Kong. I was a Bible teacher there. And uh, I think I was in the middle of the lecture and the students must have been finding me a bit hard to follow or maybe I was a bit boring. So they sought to distract me. And uh, the question they asked me had nothing to do with the Bible uh, in any obvious way. They said, what do you miss about life in Australia? And uh, my mind went to uh, when I worked in the wheat belt in Western Australia. That's where the next slide should be. Seeing salmon gums along the long straight roads and flat areas. And out in that area, uh, quite often in the middle of uh, flatland there would be a granite tor, a uh, huge rock searing up out of uh, the surrounding bush. Next slide. And uh, I could remember times when I'd been out and would stand on the top of these granite tors and I could survey the whole, the whole horizon and know that there wouldn't be more than a handful of people anywhere to be seen. That's the kind of thing that made my heart sing. My Hong Kong students thought that was really bizarre. <laughs> Fancy wanting to be anywhere where there were not many people. Um, Fancy wanting to be on your own in any way. But it's that kind of thing that sometimes helps us to see the greatness, put other things into perspective. I think both the ocean and being able to see the wide views help us to kind of see that sometimes the things that trouble us are not quite as big as they may seem. Well, what is it that makes your heart sing? In the psalm that we've shared together today, it says that when we think about God and his sovereignty, our hearts should sing. Our hearts should sing when we consider that God is a God to be worshipped and proclaimed. Worshipped and proclaimed. Those two ideas actually play together very strongly in this psalm. We'll see that the psalm begins with a series of instructions. Actually, the instructions are to one another. When we uh, 
when we think of songs and music, we often think of worshipping God and speaking or praising him, but not all hymns or songs are like that. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians that we also read that we should speak to one another in psalms and hymns because actually we're addressing each other. Um, there are songs where we're actually calling on one another to worship the Lord. And uh, what we're doing is actually speaking to each other as God's people. And that's exactly what's happening here. I, I remember being told of uh, a crusty old Anglican clergyman who was the dean of a cathedral. Uh, that's like the head minister of uh, a big church. Uh, this one happened to be in Geraldton in WA. And uh, the dean was greeting people after the service and an equally crusty older lady came out of the church and she said to the dean, didn't like the hymns today. And uh, he said, it's okay, my dear, we weren't singing them to you. Um, <laughs> which was probably not the most pastoral response, but there's a truth in that with a lot of what we sing. But actually, often we are singing to one another. We're encouraging one another in faith and life. And that's exactly what's happening in Psalm 96. If, we, uh, if you have it in your Bible, do follow along. I think I'll try and put it up on the, on the screen there. But I've highlighted certain words. Um, and these are the instruction words that we're singing to one another. The encouragement words. Do you notice that the word sing occurs three times in these first few verses? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, sing, uh, all the, uh, let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, and then there's a progression. Bless his name. Proclaim his salvation. Declare his glory among the nations. Can you see the connection between worshipping, singing to the Lord, and actually then declaring the praise of God to others. Bless his name, proclaim his salvation, declare his glory among the nations. In a way, the psalm, we could have in our mind that the psalm is God's gathered people um, instructing one another how they're to live in the world, they're to worship the Lord, sing, 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 they're to acknowledge his goodness, bless his name. But actually, the other side of that is that they're not just talking to one another. They're actually proclaiming his salvation from day to day, not just when they gather, all the time, declaring, declaring his glory among the nations. Now, for God's Old Testament people, the nations were the baddies, the enemies, the ones out there. But actually, the reason that Israel existed was to do exactly this. They were to testify 
to be people living in the world declaring and pointing to who is the true God, who is the one who made them, who is the one who actually is working in their mix to, to, to save, to rescue. Now, the psalm doesn't actually say who's, what, what salvation was in mind. Clearly, at the time the psalm was written, we're not thinking about the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Mind you, as we say this psalm, that's exactly what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the salvation that has been won for us by, by the coming of God, by his great love for us, by his taking upon himself the sin of the world, being nailed to a cross, winning for us redemption and forgiveness, the display of his grace and mercy, and the death is not the end, but that on the third day, that salvation was sealed by the resurrection. Jesus rose again, never to die again. And that salvation is further sealed by God's work in his people, by the Spirit of God filling, renewing, enabling God's people to live for his glory. So, as God's people reading Psalm 96, we see that we are called to be a worshipping people, but we are called to be an evangelism people, a mission people, a people who can speak up the word of God to the community outside our gathering, much beyond, declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all people. Going back to the beginning of this verse, we're told to sing a new song to the Lord. Now, I know not everyone likes new songs. There are some people who find them a bit of a challenge. How does that really go? Is that really a performance piece or something I can join in? Yeah, that's true. But I don't think it's actually meaning we just have to sing new songs all the time. But rather, what we're to sing is a fresh experience of all what God is doing how he's at work in our community, how's he work in our lives. There's, we're not just telling a story from the past. We're telling a story from the past that impacts the present. We're talking about the gospel transforming people's lives. People who are stuck in addiction or problems, don't know how to deal with it, but who genuinely find the transforming and powerful help of God that is a newness that creates a response to God, a worshipful response to God. In that sense, we're calling one another to constantly be singing new songs 
recognizing what God is doing in our lives. Uh, quite often people um, in the church tradition that I come from uh, constantly trying to stir people up to evangelism. And that's a good thing to be doing, I think. But in doing that, we sometimes forget that evangelism is actually temporary. There's something more permanent that will continue beyond when the Lord returns. When Jesus comes back, there'll be no longer any need for evangelism. But we're told in the scriptures that worship continues into eternity. So worship is eternal, whereas evangelism or mission is temporary. Uh, John Piper uh, says this in his book called Let the Nations Be Glad, The Supremacy of God in Mission. He said, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. He goes on to argue that worship is also the, both the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the fuel because actually as, as we worship God that we find ourselves uh, in contact with God, understanding, renewed, transformed, and that enables us to actually have uh, what it requires to go out and share the goodness of God, the glory of God with others. So it's the fuel of mission. But he also says that uh, it's the goal the goal because in missions we aim to bring the nations into what he describes as the white hot glory of, in, of uh, sorry, the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. So the goal of mission is actually ultimate joy. The joy of people who know the greatness of God. The fuel and the goal of mission. We don't want to keep to ourselves what we know is a great treasure. We're willing to share it with others. If you think about it, praise and declaration of goodness uh, do really belong together. Uh, if I say to my wife, gee, you're looking beautiful today, I really love you, uh, I think you're fantastic. That's praise directed directly to my wife. But if I say to you today, I'm really pleased with my wife. She is a great Bible teacher. She is enthusiastic. She gets great response from her students. She uh, really encourages them in their study of the scriptures and also of the Hebrew language. Now, I'm actually declaring her goodness and her greatness to you. But that's kind of also praise, isn't it? And in the same way, when we worship God or praise God, 
And when we declare God's goodness, when we share the gospel with others, they're actually two sides of the same thing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his wondrous works among all peoples. The Jews wouldn't have understood in any way, I think, this as an injunction to evangelism. But that's exactly what it is. They are not called to be God's people just to keep that message to themselves. And uh, we, likewise, have not done our duty once we've gathered as God's people and worshipped God. We need to carry that into our lives in the community. In the, in the psalm, he goes on to give us reasons why we should both praise God and proclaim his glory. Um, so, next section. See the word for? We use it a couple of times in this section. So this is the reason why we're to worship and to sing. For the Lord is a great and highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Why are we called to worship God? Why to proclaim him? Because of his greatness. Actually because of his awe. The fact that we actually have to fear God because he's the real deal. He's not like a pet God, the idols, where you craft for yourself an image that is created in what you want it to be. But the real God is truly to be feared, to be respected to be known as one who is both powerful and just, unlike the idols. The Lord is the one who made the heavens. Splendour, majesty before him, strength and beauty, the character of God the wonder of God, the glory of God. He is the real deal. God is, as we sang today, incomparable. And then we move on to see who should sing. In a way, we sort of, well, I, when I start to ring this, read this psalm, Think of God's gathered people speaking to one another, but actually it says more. It says, ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. That in Old Testament language means the families of all the different nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. 
bring an offering and enter his courts. Now, can you see that the word Lord, every time it appears, it's in those capitals. That's because we're translating a Hebrew word that is a specific name. It's the name of the God of Israel as revealed to Moses in the burning bush. But it's saying that this specific God named the Lord, that the reason we use the language of the Lord is because Jewish people were trying to obey the commandment not to use the name of the Lord in vain. So they actually tended to avoid using the name of the Lord at all. And uh, so whenever the Hebrew letters of yod Hey vav Hey appeared in their Bible, they would usually say Adonai, which means the Lord. And so we translate that as the Lord in our English versions. But we should get the idea that here, the families of all the peoples are being called upon to acknowledge a specific God, different from all their own gods. For us as Christians, we would be saying, this is actually declaring that Jesus is the real deal. That there is salvation in no other but in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. Uh, we are called to declare to all people the uniqueness of our God, that he is the one who made the world. He is the one whose love is so enormous that he came himself as one of us. Not only did he come, but he came to suffer and die for our salvation. This is the God that we're calling on the whole earth to worship. And in fact, uh, as we get to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we're giving a picture of worship in heaven. And in that picture, we see gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb, that is Jesus, who uh, is standing in the midst of the throne and around the throne with God and the Lamb are people gathered from every tribe and language and people and nation and they are ascribing greatness to Jesus for all that he has done. So who should sing? Well, not just God's people, but actually everyone should sing. But actually it seems that the psalm has more in mind than just human beings. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy for the Lord, uh, before the Lord, for he is coming. As Christians, we would say, we worship the Lord who actually has come, but who is still coming. The one who has come to us and promised that he will return to us. The one who is coming still to judge the earth. 
We're told that he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The judgment of God is not very popular in general thinking these days. We don't like the idea of God being a judge. Um, we like to be in charge of our own lives and free to decide whatever we think is good. That should be the end of the matter. But a lot of the people that I've worked with over the years who come from countries where there is injustice and great strife and trouble love the idea of a justice that is right and fair, that does not privilege certain groups over others. People who have difficulties, um, the thought that they can come to a judge who will look at what is right and wrong and say, this is what will happen, is a delightful idea. And that's what we should think about as people who remember that Jesus is coming. To put the world right, he is coming as Lord and as judge. But the worship, the praise, the declaring of the glory of God belongs with God's people, belongs with all humanity, and in fact belongs with all creation. Do you see that there in these last verses of the psalm? The heavens, the earth rejoicing, the sea, the fields, everything in them, the trees of the forest shouting for joy. One of the things that I've been doing over the last few months is I've been part of a group that are advocating as Christians for climate justice. Because we see that the world belongs to God and we are called to be stewards and faithful in that stewardship. We also would see that climate change adversely affects the poor and that there are uh, people that we are called to love as neighbours, people like in the Pacific Islands, uh, people we've shown our care for with the volcanic uh, uh, eruption and tsunami in Tonga, but there's another tsunami of climate change and as Christians our love for neighbour should flow from our love for God. And uh, it kind of recognises, as this psalm does, that all of creation is kind of responding to the Creator. Paul says in Romans that the whole of creation groans, longing for the day of God's fulfilment. And uh, uh, we see here that things that we think um, are inanimate actually are being called upon in the psalm to recognise their creator and celebrate it. 
Some years ago, I was up at Marysville before the terrible fires, and there's a lovely waterfall there. And we went out in the middle of the night, and they've used the, uh, they have a generator that is running on the power of the waterfall and lights up this waterfall in the middle of the night. So you go through the forest and you look at this amazing waterfall and just hear the, the roar of the sound of the waters coming over and tumbling on the rocks below. And as I was standing there looking at that, uh, I got in touch with something of the truth of what this psalm is saying, that it's like the whole of creation acknowledges its creator, but many people do not. And that sound of the waters, I guess it was something like the sound of the crowd at Rod Laver Arena last night when Ash Barty uh, came back from 5-1 down to take the Australian Open women's title real eruption of celebration and praise. But the creation is praising and celebrating the one who made us and the world. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, the people celebrated and proclaimed that the religious authorities told him and his disciples to stop the crowd from shouting out. Jesus' response were, was, I tell you, if these people were silent, the stones themselves would shout out. The Lord Jesus is coming. The Lord Jesus has come. His glory will be revealed and all flesh will see and the whole of creation will bow in submission to this God. How could we fail to declare the glory of this God in our own world, in our own time? So I encourage us as we gather together as God's people to worship God, to always be mindful that we're also called to declare his goodness, his glory to others. This treasure is not something that we are called to keep to ourselves, but rather to share with others. Mission and evangelism is the focus of our praise to God. What we value and admire, we will declare to others. As we come to the Lord's Supper today, we're going to invite people to come up and receive bread and wine to remember all that God has done for us in Christ, his death and resurrection. Uh, Take that as an opportunity when you come up to think about how can I live the praise of God? How can I be declaring his goodness in my life? You can't do that in your own strength. You need 
the Spirit of God who equips you to be the people of God and to declare the glory of God in all the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouragement to be your people and to be your people mindful of your glory and declaring your praise and encouraging one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with our heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything in God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, but help us also to be people who are missional at heart, willing to share the greatness of God and of his salvation in the world. So we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.